We're to turn to Colossians chapter 3, please. Thanks for that song, guys. Great song. I wanted to look back at Colossians chapter 1, that couple verses we we actually just read together. The beginning of this letter to the Colossian church. Listen to what he says and think about the things we talked about this morning, where we're headed tonight. This is is the Apostle Paul's prayer. Sometimes we get to look over the shoulder of the Apostle Paul and see how he prays, see what he prays for. Sometimes we see what he asks prayer for. And here we get to see how Paul and Timothy... Are, are praying in Colossians 1 look at verse 9 and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every kind of work every good work And increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. So... Think about, Paul is praying for this Colossian church. Paul and Timothy are praying for this Colossian church to bear much fruit and abound in good works. And here we come in this meaty part of the letter in chapter 2 and 3, and he's talking about how to make that happen. So, at the end of chapter 2, we see that rules and regulations, they have no... No value in uh, stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And then we get to look at how we should change. How to change. So this morning we talked about seeking and destroying, right? Seeking and destroying. We talked about uh, seek upward, seek seek, uh, above things, seek above things, think above things, verses 1 and 2. Seek things that are above. Set your mind or think on things that are above. And then the second paragraph we looked at was Paul telling us to destroy certain things. To destroy sexual sin. Destroy below things. Destroy earthly earthly things. Destroy sinful speech. Cutting speech. And um, tonight we're going to look on, look at what to put on, what to put on. Then we're going to look at our role. What is our role in God's family? What to put on, put on holiness, and look at our roles in God's family. Um, so we talked a little bit this morning about these three R's, right? Repent. Repent. Renew and replace. 
Repent, renew, and replace. And the, those three R's that, for me, they help me a lot in counseling. They help a lot where we think, how does somebody change? Well, they repent. They put off or destroy, put to death something. They renew their mind. Repent, renew, and then replace. What, what's the good work we should be doing? Those three, kind, those three things um, uh, that Pastor Jim taught me. And... Here we are, we're seeing exactly how this is. We see renew, we're first here, here in this text, first we're renewing our mind. We're setting our minds on above things. We have Christ word thinking. And then we're putting off, putting to death these things, and now we put on. So, here we go. Look with me at verse 12. We'll read verse 12 through 17 for now. Verse 12 of chapter 3. Put on then, or therefore, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those five things. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and warning or teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, number one, put on holiness. Put on holiness. This is the new you. This is the new us. Put on holiness. Therefore, again, we see this word, therefore, it's a connecting word. These things are all connected. We saw it at the beginning of verse 3. We saw that at the beginning of verse 5. Therefore, if you have been raised, it's verse 3. I mean, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, sorry. Chapter 3, verse 1. There's a big 3 in my Bible right there. That's why I said verse 3. It's verse 1 of chapter 3. And then... Uh, verse 5, therefore, put to death, connected to that, therefore, put on. Um, these things are all connected. The rules aren't going to work in, in and of themselves. So we're going to seek the right things, set our minds on the right things, and then destroy wrong things and put on right things. So here we are. Put on righteousness. Um, at the end of this paragraph, the previous paragraph, Paul had said that the Christian community transcends normal human boundaries, man-made boundaries that we may put up. The nationality, social standing, religious background, whatever it is, Christ is all and in all. Therefore, put on. Put on. Now pause. Pause. As God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved. You love that pause? There's, these are common words used in the Old Testament. You probably recognize these kinds of words from the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, often used 
um, of God's chosen people. Holy and beloved. We, we can be declared holy and beloved because of God's electing grace in our lives. We are his chosen ones and we're called holy and beloved by God. We, are, we have been justified, declared righteous. Big word, justification. Okay? Justification has two parts to it. We, our sins have been forgiven, sins have been canceled, but also we've been given the righteousness of Christ. So there's a, a subtraction of sin and an addition of Christ's righteousness. We are saints. We're holy ones. And we have a new self, a new identity as chosen, holy, and loved by God. So put on, you see this, this clothing imagery he has now. He went from this d- destroying and now he's saying clothing imagery, put on. Put on, then he lists these five virtues. So previous in the previous two um, lists, there were five vices regarding sexual sin and then five vices regarding um, a sinful speech. And here we have five virtues. These five virtues. Notice these attributes are so closely connected with community life. How we should be acting towards each other. Almost in, almost in direct opposition to the negative kinds of speech we saw in, in verse 8. Right? That kind of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Put, put that away. Put, that, put them all away. Get them out of your mouth. And here... We have these that are so closely connected to community life, to, to us, a body, how we should be living together. So the first one is compassionate hearts, or NLT says the tender-hearted mercy. Second one is kindness, a, a word sometimes used in regards to God's gracious acts. God's kindness, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, is meant to lead us to repentance. That's the kind of kindness we should have to other people. God's, a, a kindness that looks like God's gracious acts to people who don't deserve it. Kindness. Humility. True humility. Not the false humility that we saw in asceticism in chapter 2. Not, not that kind of humility, but real, true hum, humil, humility. Taking a weaker position. I think of automatically comes to my mind is Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn there real, real quick. Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Just turn backwards a couple of pages. Um, look, look here. And here you're, you're going to see the same kind of theme. This, this unity through humility. Look, in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look at only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, we want... we. Pursue this kind of humility that's looking, not just for our own interests, and we're actually thinking of others as more important than ourselves. Really? 
Even my little brother is more important than me? Yes. It's more important than ourselves. In, in, um, in the ancient world, this kind of humility was, was seen as uh, a, a negative attribute. Uh, you're, you're a lowly person of humble estate, of humble means. You're, you even had connotations of cowardice. You're a coward. You get taken advantage of. You get trampled on. If you're living that kind of life. Do, did you see that we kind of have that mentality too in our day? Really willing to be trampled on? Willing to be taken advantage of? In some cases. It, it's, a, it's an others first kind of mentality. A deny yourself kind of mentality. Humility. The fourth one, and back to Colossians chapter 3. The fourth one, meekness. Meekness. <clears throat> meekness. I heard some, one person say, power restrained. Um, I think the, the standard Greek lexicon for the New Testament uh, has a really cool definition of this term. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. <laughs> meekness. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. I, I actually think of men in my life. I think of a couple men when I was growing up who, who just seemed like powerful men. Powerful Farming, central Illinois men. You know, rough kind of big hands, strong men that will crush you. That kind of thing. But so humble. So tender-hearted, soft-hearted. A a love for God. That meek kind of um, uh, attitude, spirit amongst them. The fifth one there is patience. It's actually a word... An attitude that God displays towards sinful creatures. And that's the same kind of patience we ought to have towards each other. <laughs> the same kind of patience that God gives you is the kind of patience we should have for each other. So this is how we ought to be living and thinking about each other. This is how we should be living towards each other. The attitudes we should have towards each other. Um, this, is, this is how we should be living in community. This grace essential of community, if you will. Showing Christ by pursuing one another with love and good works. We have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Do you you see how these are all others-oriented? That's the new you. That's the new me. It's really the new us. That's the new us. We're others-oriented. We're part of a community, and this is what life looks like in this community. This is what characterizes this new community, this kind of living. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And this is how we should be living towards all people. Not just here in this community, but outward as well. So do do we look like this? Do we look like this? So, if this is the kind of attitude we should have the heart we should have, here are some actions that should follow. This is what it will look like bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Look at verse 13.
bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Really? Bearing with one another. Not, not just a begrudging kind of putting up with. Like I put up with my brother. We share, share a room. Just put up with him. Yeah, just kind of ignore him. You know, whatever. But it, it's, it's much more than that. It's a positive kind of action. We're being patient with each other, if you will. We seek to understand. So we're going to have differences in kinds of people here. Differences in background. Difference in religious background, differences in social standing now, differences in social standing in the past, different kind of people in here in this room. We bear with one another, bearing with one another. We will sometimes find ourselves in close fellowship with people who are very different than we are. We're good with that. But there's also more to it. We're forgiving one another. We stand ready to forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. Well, well, they, they keep on doing the same things over and over to me. They, they just keep on uh, frustrating me, if you will. How long do I keep on forgiving them? That's... As long as Christ keeps forgiving you. That's what it says. If one is complaining against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If you have a complaint against someone, go to them and stand ready to forgive. Stand ready to forgive. Can't wait to forgive. You're eager to forgive someone who's wronged you. And then, when you forgive, it's done. When it's done, it's done. It's over with. Clean slate. They they might offend you in about five more minutes. You're ready to forgive. You can't wait to forgive them for that one, too. Learning learning forgiveness, uh, for me, I would say, transformed our marriage. You know that? Learning forgiveness transformed our marriage. Abby learned it first. And taught me. And uh, really, there was a turning point in our marriage when uh, we learned about forgiveness. And, you know, in some of the smaller things that were a little more petty, we kind of made it into a little bit of a joke and had some fun with it. And But the, the clarity on asking forgiveness and then putting... So when you ask forgiveness, you're putting the ball in their court. And they get to forgive you. You're humbly submitting yourself and saying, will you, will you forgive me? And they get to forgive you. And the, the, the clarity of asking forgiveness and being forgiven is essential. So when you ask for forgiveness, uh, two things that we talk about. Uh, when you ask for forgiveness, own up to your sin. Own up to it. I, I sinned in this way. This is how I sinned against you and against God. Will you forgive me? And secondly... No ifs or buts, okay? I'm sorry if I, you know, might have hurt you, maybe, kind of. Sorry, sorry, if it, sorry if it offended you, that kind of thing. Sorry, but it was a really hard day, and I just, I just had a tough time. Sorry, but, you know, the kids were all, you know, all over the place. And sorry, but, sorry, but, sorry if. No, 
you sinned. Own up to your sin. This is how I sinned against you. No excuses. Will you forgive me? This is how I sinned. Will you forgive me? The ball is put into their court. And they get to respond. Of course. Standing ready to forgive. So, look, we're going to be wronged by people. You're going to be wronged by people in this church. You're going to be wronged by people outside this church. And just be constantly ready to forgive. As Christ is always ready to forgive us. And here's the thing. We have two options. Um, Pastor Jim passed this one on to me. I like quoting that guy. Uh, Two options. He says, you have two options when someone's wronged you. Here's your two options. You have the option to lovingly confront or to lovingly cover. Love covers a multitude of sins. You have option of lovingly confront. If they don't come to you and ask for forgiveness, we have an option to love, lovingly confront them or to lovingly cover. And when you forgive, it's done. Forgiven. Just like Christ has forgiven us. And he keeps on forgiving us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's done. It's it. It's over. And it's based on his faithfulness and his justice. Isn't that great? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's done. So, we forgive as Christ keeps on forgiving us. Now, why why are we able to do this? Well, it's because we love each other. We have a sincere love for each other. So, verse 14, above all of these, put on love. You still have the clothing imagery in mind? Put on these five things, and then above those, put on love. Put on this one. This one's going to cover all of them, okay? Put on love. This love, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. I mean, that almost sounds like a, like a greeting card of some kind. I mean, but think of the power in that. Above all these, put on love. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Um. Uh, this this love that we have for each other brings us all together, and we're we're not we're not forgiving each other, bearing with patient with each other. Then we're not if we're not uh, for, if we're not if we're not forgiving each other, bearing with one another, patient with each other. Then we're not really loving, and there's not going to be unity. So we need to have this kind of love for each other that can't wait to forgive, that is patient, it bears with each other. With each other's differences. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace peace should rule. Or better, peace should be the judge. In other words, in our relationships with each other, peace that Christ brings should rule. If I'm in a dispute with someone... I want peace to rule there. I want, I want there to be peace. Uh, we, we really want to be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. We want peace in our hearts towards each other. Peace. Because we are called to in one body, verse 15 says. We are called in one body. We, we want to be unified because we need to be unified as one body. We can have one part of the body going this way, one part of the body going this way. We need to be unified and at peace in our hearts. That kind of peace, the, the togetherness kind of peace 
that comes from Christ. And be thankful. Thanks for the differences. Thanks for this dispute. We, we displayed Christ's forgiveness and Christ's peace in remaining unified over these issues. These differences, these offenses that have come, we, we put aside the petty issues and we're unified. Be thankful. Uh, thankfulness we're going to see three times in these three verses. Um, you may have noticed that when I was reading through that. Be thankful at the end of verse 15. And then um, in verse 16 and 17 we'll see it as well. And um, it harkens back to the uh, kind of heart of the letter in Colossians uh, 2, 6 and 7. As you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's what comes out. When we're walking in Christ, we abound in thanksgiving. So, um, not only should the peace of Christ rule but also the word of Christ should dwell in us richly. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the word of Christ, the message of Christ, the gospel, the gospel um, ought to be the center of our corporate worship together. This is all corporate kind of language, togetherness, community language. When we get together... The word of Christ should dwell in us in a rich kind of way. It's not a passing thing. It's dwelling richly. It's deep-rooted, if you will. Teaching and warning with all wisdom. Those three words uh, um, are the same words we saw back in chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. And how do we do that within the body? We sing songs to each other. We sing. We're reminding each other by the words in the music. We're teaching. We're warning with all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our songs are to God and they're for each other. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is a, a general conclusion here at the end of this paragraph. Everyone, at everything we do, is in his name. Now, what, what does that mean? We hear that sometimes. It's, uh, what, what does that mean, in his name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not, it's not uttering his name Everywhere and often as if there's some kind of magic in speaking that particular word. As Caleb would have you believe. <laughs> Don't get me started on that song. All right. uh, there, there's no, it's not magic in just saying a particular word and something magical is going to happen. It's not just saying that, but in the name. The, no, name refers to his nature. His character. We're baptized in what? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, we're saying, that is my God. That God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, that's my God. So we're saying we're being baptized. That's my God, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything we do is now governed by Him, His will. Our character should match His character. Everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, 
through him. So what have we seen? We've seen to seek, destroy, put on. Now let's talk specifics. Let's talk specifics. Point number two, our roles in God's family. Our roles in God's family. Wives, husbands, children's, children's, should I say that? Children, um, fathers, slaves, masters. How are we to act in God's family? First of all, wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, okay? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This is how, um, this is the order he has set up. Let him lead. God has called men to lead, provide, and protect. You get to let him lead. It's a privilege for you, wives, to let him lead. That's not a weight for you to bear. That's his weight. Your role is of willing and joyful submission. Voluntarily put yourself under his headship, under his leadership. This is fitting for those who are in the Lord. It's the order he set up. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ever notice that God commands to our weaknesses? Doug Wilson, I heard Doug Wilson say that, and that that is so true. When God commands, he commands to our weaknesses. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We tend, husbands, we tend to be weak here. We tend towards harshness. Your, your leadership is not a domineering kind of leadership. It, it, it's going um, to be the kind of leadership that's a loving kind of leadership towards your wife. Love her. Now, it, it's going to be hard for me. I, I'm going to be the leader, but it's going to be hard for me to go against Abby. It's going to be hard for me because I love Abby and I want her input. I want to hear what she has to say when we're trying to make a decision on a particular topic. But the weight is mine. The weight is mine. I, I take on the weight of leading. It's going to be hard for me to go against her, and it's because I love her. Don't be hard on her. Don't be hard on your wife. Don't be harsh with her. We were just at Chick-fil-A uh, this past week, and uh, husband uh, yelled at his wife. Can you go get over here and order, please? Can you get over here and order your meal, please? I said to Abby, well, at least he said please. She's not your kid. She's not on your basketball team. She's not your bro. She's your wife. Love her. Cherish her. Don't be harsh. I didn't say that to him. <laughs> Caused a big scene. No, I didn't say that to him. I'm going to preach... Colossians chapter 3, right there. No. Love her, cherish her, don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Notice, notice the difference here. Wives, submit. Children, obey. There, there is a difference. And the difference is subtle. Why is the wife not said, just obey? Wife, obey. Children, obey. Because there's a different level. The wife is not placed under a set of rules from the husband. 
obey this, obey this, obey this. No, she simply submits to his leadership. Children, in this obedience, in this call to obedience, there's an implied here that they're under some set of rules that you must obey in everything. And you may not totally understand them. Right, kids? Right, children? You may not totally understand them. I guarantee you, I have some rules in my house with my children. They, have, they don't understand them at all. I mean, veil is four, pillar is two and a half. They don't understand the rules I'm making. They don't understand that. That's okay. But they're called to obey. And know that the obedience that you have towards your parents is not just an obedience to your parents. Your obedience to your parents is actually obedience to Christ. You get that? You understand that? Your obedience to your parents is obedience to Christ. Your disobedience to your parents is disobedience to Christ. I, hope my, I want my kids to know that they're, they're not seeking to obey me ultimately. I'm the head of the house. So I'm in charge here. They're not seeking to obey me ultimately. I want them to obey Jesus. Obey Christ. This pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I love how children obey your parents. Like, yeah, obey me. It's like, fathers, step back a little bit. Notice he's commanding to our weakness. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Dads, we can tend to provoke our children and discourage them. You can see how this can happen. We, we can make such a list of rules that they can't... Um, that, that they can't be kids. We, they can't live normal lives. Here's this rule, this rule, this rule. And then we come down on them harshly when they mess up. You, I need you to act this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. And when they mess up, get them. Have you seen the screaming dad at the Little League Baseball game? Seen him? I was an umpire for a few years in high school. I've seen a few of those guys. They like to talk to me too. <laughs> Constantly yelling, constantly correcting. Be patient. Be patient. Doug Wilson, he's, he's talking about um, parenting. He says, let your kids live in a garden of yes. Let your kids live in a garden of yes. Adam and Eve were placed in a garden of yes. One no. Yes. Do it. Do it. Yes. You can do this. You can do this. He's talking specifically about setting your household up. So your kids can live, flourish, grow. Slaves obey in everything. New Testament slavery or bond servants don't think harsh treatment of American slaves in the 19th century. Here, many were domestic servants who actually lived in the home. They had a relationship more like a boss, worker, employee, employer kind of relationship. Uh, uh, not totally like it, but more like it. And I think it would be appropriate to apply Paul's thoughts in this way. So when we look at slaves, that's the way I'm thinking. Employee, employer kind of relationship. Slave, master kind of relationship. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service. First of all, not by way of our service as people pleasers. So not just when the boss is looking, right? You know those kind of people? They're just, they're just working. Oh, here comes the boss. Act like you're typing. Act like you're doing something. Act like you're you know, chopping wood, you know, whatever it is. Here comes the boss. Go, work, work, work. You know, those kind of people. Not just like that. Um, and, uh, but with a sincere heart, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
You have a sincere desire to see business, that business succeed that you're working for. But more importantly, you have a sincere desire to do what's right. To do what you're being paid to do. Work hard. You have high character. The Christian employee should be someone everyone wants to hire because of your high character. And because you work hard. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for man. Your, your boss thinks you're working for them, but you have a greater master. Your, your good character is spurned on by your desire to obey Christ ultimately. Just like a child, they want to obey Christ ultimately. We, we're not just obeying a master, we're obeying Christ ultimately. You're working hard. As to the Lord, not unto men. So, so don't be lazy. Work hard, even when your boss isn't looking, because your real master is looking, and he requires your full obedience. Look at verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. reward. You are serving the Lord. An obedient worker for Christ will gain a reward. You're serving Christ ultimately. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. The one who does wrong will get what he has coming. Masters, chapter 4, verse 1, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, treat your employees like you would want to be treated. Lavish gifts upon them. Where's Pastor Jim when I need him? No, <laughs> no. treat your employees Treat your employees like you would want to be treated. I, I was reading a, a couple years ago, I was reading a book about a company that was really successful and the, just the, the gifts that they would lavish upon people because the bosses decide we're going to treat our employees like we would want to be treated. So, just two things. Pursue unity with each other. Pursue unity with each other. Put on these things. Put on, put on holiness. Pursue unity. Love each other. Bear with each other. Be ready to forgive. Pursue peace. Pursue unity through humility. Be thankful. And lastly, know your role in the family of God. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, and masters. Know your role. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Let's pray. Dear God, dear God, we want your name to be honored. We want your character in our lives so that your name will be honored. 